Welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, hello. Another edition of the podcast, off-season style. Uh, lots to get to with this show. We've got NFL Draft. We're going to kind of go over where all four of the Oregon football players that were selected in this past weekend's draft went. Uh, maybe we'll give our kind of our... Projected best player in three years from each position. Works, er, works for me. <laughs> uh, we'll also touch on, there's some big transfer news from a basketball perspective uh, for the Oregon team. And then within the conference, there's also some big transfer news for the football side of things. Uh, so we'll dive into just the transfer discussion and uh, maybe where things are at kind of, I don't know if it's socially or, or, or if it's just, where things are in the competitive world of sports now and yeah. transfers and you know transfer portals. So we'll go into that. Uh, we've also got a verbal commitment from uh, a player for the Oregon football team that we'll briefly touch on. And then last but not least, uh, Eric and I are going to go through kind of uh, – because the biggest thing is, is let's talk about what's next right after something happens. And so the NFL draft is over. Uh, what's next for Oregon football and where, you know – how many guys could get drafted in 2020? Yeah. Who who are the best players uh, that, regardless of eligible or not for 2020, I think that's going to be the interesting discussion. So Eric and I are going to kind of give our, our opinions of who Oregon's 10 best draft guys are, regardless of eligibility for 2020. Uh, so that that includes guys that are sophomores or, or freshmen uh, on that list. So uh, before we get into this show, uh, make sure to like us, review us on iTunes, uh, we'd really appreciate you guys if you could do that. That would help us climb up the rankings there a little bit and uh, add more visibility. And then also, uh, if you are not a subscriber to DuckTerritory.com, uh, I strongly urge you guys to just give us a chance. All it's going to cost is $1. That, that, that's all, $1 for your first 30 days. Uh, or if you if you were a past subscriber and you were waiting for a deal, well, we've, we've – this isn't a promotion that's going away. This is our regular price now. We've we've drastically sl- uh, slashed our prices 30% off on our annual subscription. You can now get an annual subscription for $6.26 a month. That's just ridiculous. So, Or if you're a month-to-month subscriber, save almost over $3, basically, uh, per month. That's you know $36 that you can save in your pocket almost from probably the previous price that you were paying. Uh, if you upgrade to to uh, annual subscription, so I highly encourage you guys to go do that. It, 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 I, I promise you, you will not. You, you will come to our site, and there will be something new every single day, multiple times a day. Uh, and look, there was a verbal commitment on Friday, or on Friday we had quotes, and we had another verbal commitment uh, on Monday. And, and you know, as a site, we were completely locked in for for both of those. You knew ahead of time what was coming. We had quotes after that happened. Uh, full coverage of recruiting, full coverage of team, uh, and also full coverage of multiple sports at DucksTerritory.com. So for a dollar, you're not it, – it's criminal to not try it. I'll, I'll just say that. Wow, criminal. Criminal. I'll throw you, you in jail. You're a Pertossian <laughs> slammer if you don't sub- come subscribe to our website. Uh, NFL Draft wrapped up over the weekend. Yeah. Were you surprised that only – that it took – you know, the late fourth round for the first guy to get picked. Uh, I think that's about where I thought it would happen. I'm not sure I thought we should recap. Ugo Amadi was the first player from Oregon sure. selected. He went to Seattle at the back end of the fourth round. Um, 
I'm maybe not surprised that that's where they started. I, I guess I would say I'm maybe surprised that Ugo was the first player taken. I, I think a lot of projections had either Justin Hollins or, or Dylan Mitchell going first, and obviously if he followed, Mitchell drops a long way, and, and, and we'll probably talk about this in a second, about maybe he made a mistake going out early. He was taken in the seventh round by Minnesota. Obviously, getting drafted is a huge accomplishment, but he had the opportunity to come to come back. So, But, yeah, I think to your original question, um, not super surprised about – Kind of when they started getting quick, I guess surprised that all four were taken in the order of which they were they were picked. Amadi goes first, and then I want to say like ten minutes later, fifteen minutes later, uh, Justin Hollins, outside linebacker, edge rusher. He's, he's defined as an edge rusher uh, in the NFL draft. Gets yeah. selected in the fifth round to go to the Denver Broncos, uh, and then there was a long wait, uh, and two guys that waited. Almost the entirety of the entire NFL draft uh, waited to hear their names, and then it finally happened. Dylan Mitchell went in the seventh round to the Minnesota Vikings, and then uh, one of the last picks of the draft, uh, Jalen Jelts, goes to Dallas Cowboys also in the seventh round. Yeah. I think you posed a really good question privately in our Slack communications over the weekend was, you know, did Jalen Jelts make a mistake coming back to school? Because going into – the NFL draft offseason last year, yeah. after his junior year, he was considered much higher than where he went in this year's draft. Yeah, and I think it's hard to say where he would have gone last year, but certainly the buzz when he was considering what to do was he feels like a second-day guy, maybe sure. first part of the third-day guy. He feels like he's going to be somewhere between maybe late second through early fourth, somewhere somewhere in those ranges for and then he comes back and, and doesn't have, at least statistically, as strong a season as, as he had as a junior and, and drops almost completely out of the draft, does get picked, like we said, to Dallas, kind of in the back end of the seventh. I think that's a rough beat for him, you know, in terms of he, I think, probably made what he thought was the right decision for himself. And, and you kind of wonder, financially, did he did he hurt himself? At the same time, he's still going to have an opportunity here. Um, you make the most of your money on your second contract. He still has, all these guys have an opportunity, regardless of where they were selected, to still go out and have long careers and to kind of maybe prove some people wrong in terms of where they were selected. But certainly someone like Jelks might have been one of those scenarios where there were some a lot of confidence about things he could do, but the longer he, you know, they, they had tape on him, they saw more weaknesses and kind of recognized things he wasn't great at. He didn't test particularly well yep. uh, in terms of his, his speed and athleticism numbers, but certainly somebody that you kind of go, if he'd come out a year earlier, would he have not gone a little bit higher? I think, right. I think he would have. And then, then obviously everyone else is talking about Dylan Mitchell. Did he make the right decision? And look, I, I think he did because I look at Mitchell and yeah, he went in the seventh round. Uh, it was one of the last, you know, I think he was the second to last receiver picked in the draft. Um, and you could argue, oh, he should have came back, you know, 10 out of 11 starters, you know, he could have been the 11 starter to come back next season. Justin Herbert's back and, you know, Oregon's offense is going to be loaded, you know, even without him. And if you add him into the picture and, you know, all that, and look at the year he had, and if he does it again, well, there's two things. One, look at Miles Gaskin at Washington. He is the first player ever in Pac-12 history, Pac-10 history, to run for 1,000 yards in four straight seasons. He's, I think he's the career leader in rushing yards at UW. Touchdown uh, leader, too. Touchdown leader. He's in the top, like, five, I think, statistically, for... Pac-12, Pac-10 history uh, in rushing yards and, and rushing touchdowns, I believe. And he's played in a playoff game. He's played in the Rose Bowl. He's played 
uh, in two other really big bowl games, and he went in the seventh round. He went five picks ahead of Mitchell. Yeah. I mean, so you, you could argue, yeah, statistics mean a lot, but college success always doesn't translate to, you know, draft pick success. Just because you put up huge numbers doesn't mean that instantly equates to you to having a huge year. And then the second reason why I think Dylan Mitchell made the right decision is, A, I think his stats wouldn't be as gaudy as they were last year because Oregon's improved the receiver position and they don't have to rely on him as much. And then secondly... He's not going to change who he is. He's a six foot one, 190 pound, 180 pound receiver that doesn't have burner speed, that doesn't have some physical freak attribute to his game. You know, like a Nikhil Harry who's just got you know, you know massive arm strength, and and uh, or or you look at a guy who's got huge hands, or a guy that's got humongous, a huge wingspan. Right. That Dylan, Dylan Mitchell is who he is. And, you know, he can improve a little bit in certain areas, but I just don't think he was drastically going to impact his, his his stock by coming back for his senior year. And so I, I think he made the right decision. I, I think we were in agreement on this one. And, and I think part of it for me is a lot of what you're saying in terms of I don't think he comes back and suddenly he cuts. And actually, he ran pretty well. His 40 time was respectable. I think he ran or about right 4-5, a little under 4-5. Right. At the combine, so it's not like he it's not like he went out and ran four seven, and, and you're going like, oh boy, he could have come back and could have cut some tents off that, and that would have changed his position. I just think ultimately there there was probably you look at him and kind of what is he at the next level with his size, you know, and he's not small, six one one ninety five according to kind of what his uh, combine numbers were, but again, uh, like you, I, I just kind of look at him and go. Where he succeeds is in his route running and his consistency, and those aren't things that change with another year under his belt. I think, obviously, uh, you know, a a really prolific college player, I still think has a chance. Minnesota's offense could be good for him if he's able to work his way into that rotation, although he's going to have some work ahead of him because some of the best receivers in the NFL are are playing for Minnesota. But I, I think, you know, ultimately, I don't know how much drastically different his stock is if he comes back another year. Obviously, Oregon fans are saying he wasn't drafted very high, he should have come back, right. but he comes back and he has another great statistic season, doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be drafted any higher. I think if he thinks he's ready, he's ready. He got picked. And he got picked. That's all that matters. He got picked. Yeah. Uh, and, and now it doesn't matter where you were picked, it's it's can you perform on the field because you, you have a spot. Yep. Uh, and, and Or at least you have a you have a chance to earn a spot because some guys do get drafted and do get cut the same year. Uh, later on, remember, later on in the show, Eric and I will, will kind of give you our opinions of who the 10 best draft guys are on this current Oregon team and how many of those guys are going to be eligible for the draft, I think, is going to be the, the big discussion standpoint right. uh, for where Oregon's at. Um, from a transfer roster pr- perspective, Oregon basketball kind of got a – I don't know if surprise is the right word, because if you asked me a month ago if this was going to happen, I, I would have said it wouldn't have surprised me. The fact that it happened a month later is what surprises me. Uh, top 100 recruit for, freshman forward Miles Norris has put his name in the NCAA transfer portal. Now, we will say this. It does not mean he can't come back to school, um, but based off of everything we've heard, it's looking like you know the chances of him coming back to Oregon are very, very slim. Uh, he's looking for more playing time, and, and we'll see if he can find it at a program that's at the same level as Oregon. It, to me, this is one that's a really big head-scratcher uh, yeah, for I a agree. lot of reasons. I agree, and I think the thing you look at here is it, 
I'm gonna guess he's gonna sit. He's gonna have to sit a year. He hasn't obviously hasn't graduated. He's a freshman. Yeah. We're not aware of any waiver that he's likely to get uh, transferring to another school closer to home or, or what have you. He's gonna have to sit a year. And, and I look at Oregon's roster the way it's constructed right now, and maybe maybe part of the reason he's leaving is that there's gonna be some stuff that's unfolding that we're not aware of yet. But yeah. I just look at the way the roster looks right now, and I go, he looks like somebody who was already playing 10 to 15 minutes a game. Looked like he would have gotten a bigger role with Paul White, le- Paul White leaving. The possibility of Kenny Wooten staying in the draft. Maybe even Lewis King leaving opens up a little bit more playing time because he has some versatility at possibly playing on the perimeter a little bit. I just think he was somebody that, you know, going into a sophomore year, puts on some muscle, you know, kind of gets in the gym and works on his jump shot because he didn't shoot the ball at the three-point level very high, even though we know he's capable. And he comes out and he's a 15 to 25-minute-a-game guy as a sophomore. And then by his junior year, he's probably looking at his starting spot because Kenny Wooten's not going to be on the team anymore and, and so forth and, you know, down the line. And I just think... It seems like a guy who, who would have had an opportunity if he would have been a little bit of patient to play quite a bit this season and then the following year really had the payoff. But obviously that's not what we're going to see. And, and now we kind of, if he does stay in the portal, he's going to transfer somewhere, sit a season, and yeah. then play the next year. And it'll be interesting to just, you could compare and contrast almost in a couple of years of had he stayed at Oregon, what would yeah. the role look like compared to maybe he transfers to San Diego State or somewhere closer to home. What does it look like there? Yeah, that's where I think, look, and I... I I want to say this first and foremost. I am fully on board with player movement and having the freedom to go where they want to go if they feel like their current spot isn't their best fit. Sure. Um, I, I I am 100% in agreement of that, and then I I think I think players should be eligible to, to move right away. Let you know, like in an instance, Norris is probably not going to be able to to play right away, but you know I think I think he should. Um, because coaches have that right, and you know why should players be penalized if a coach leaves, especially. Um, that being said, this is like you touched on it. This is where, as a head coach, not just at Oregon but anywhere, I, I think in college basketball, coaches can kind of get frustrated because it's almost like he's being impatient for no reason. Um, because he's gonna be a regular contributor for this coming team in 2019-2020. Because you look at it like, okay, Kenny Wooten comes back, Francis Socorro comes back. Who's the backup for either of those guys? I mean, they have C.J. Walker. They have Chandler Lawson. Um, but Lawson's more of a 3-4 than a 4-5. C.J. Walker's kind of that ultimate tweener. Like, he could play three. He could play five. Right. You know, but there's clearly a spot, you know, for 20 minutes or 15 minutes a game as a sophomore, uh, behind an NBA player, caliber player in Kenny Wooten, and a guy that, that found a role in Francis Okoro. But let's also be real, Okoro played like 15 minutes a game last yeah. year. I mean, you could easily overtake him. I mean, I'm I I mean, I, I'm not trying to say like Okoro is a bad player, but, no, no. but the likelihood of, of him locking down that spot at center is equally as likely as someone coming in and taking it. Uh, before the run started, Norris and Okoro were playing similar minutes. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like the role was that different. Okoro obviously got kind of a step up in playing time. And just to draw a quick parallel, this reminds me a little bit of Mallory McGuire for the women's basketball team a couple years ago transferring. Sure. Where she leaves, but if she would have stayed and Oregon loses Ruthie Hebert for a couple games, that could have been humongous, you know, in that development. So you look at Oregon and currently the depth, it's like, you know, potentially this doesn't feel huge right now, but it could be a situation where maybe Wooten does stay in the draft 
and Okoro gets banged up midway through the season, and now you're starting somebody who where Norris could have stepped in and been starting and playing 30 minutes a game. So right. uh, it, it is the, it is kind of the frustrating part of this whole thing, but also the reality yeah. that there is so much agent. This is free agency. You know, there's, yeah. The players are basically allowed to do kind of what they want to do. I think that's fine. In this instance, I look at it and kind of go, like, it maybe doesn't make sense to me, but it's also possible there's stuff going on behind the scenes sure. that we don't know. And yeah, and that's the one thing that, that we don't know what what has transpired. Maybe Norris was told, hey, you're going to play 20 minutes as a freshman, and obviously that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe he feels like, you know, he was slighted a little bit or lied to for why he was going to come to Oregon. Uh, you know, but, so maybe there's something behind the scenes, but from the information that we do know, it's certainly an interesting one uh, and one that you hope – plays out for Miles Norris uh, for yep. Oregon. Uh, what's after that? They've got options. We'll have stuff on the site you know, later today, later this week, uh, about who Oregon uh, is going after to now replace another transfer, uh, which is weird. I thought a couple weeks ago there wasn't going to be any, yeah, and now yeah. two have hit. Oregon never, had, Oregon never has an offseason without a transfer. It looked yep. like there was actually going to be one without it, and now we have two. Uh, let's go into football recruiting. Okay. Um, we were going to talk about some UW stuff, but we want to keep this podcast under a certain time frame. And um, There's plenty of discussion on our board about the transfers. Yes. Uh, Oregon football lands a verbal commitment, another four-star, another defensive back. Uh, this is now two in about four days. We should talk about both probably. Yes. Luke Hill is a four-star cornerback from Maryland, the Baltimore area. He committed to the Ducks on Friday. And then four-star safety, uh, Miles Slusher from Arrowhead in Oklahoma. He committed to the Ducks on Monday. So the Ducks, in about a four-day span, went in and plucked two four-star guys to help shore up their secondary. Really, really good gets for each for each guy. You look at the way the, the, the class is currently comprised, and obviously we're a ways from signing day, but the top three rated players are all defensive backs, yeah. all from basically not Oregon's footprint, right? I mean, Avante Williams is the, the number one rated uh, recruit they've, they've got to come in from. He's from Florida. Luke Hill, he said, is from Baltimore. Miles Slusher is from Oklahoma. It's been pretty impressive what this staff has been able to do, again, outside of the West Coast. We know last year they did so well in Los Angeles. They, you know, That's really where that, that top class kind of came from was they locked down the Los Angeles area, pulled in a lot of the top guys. You look at this year's class, they've got a couple, they've got some guys from that area. You know, you look at Chris Hudson and, and, and Jaden Navarrete. But you also look up here and you've got three of the top guys are guys from outside that footprint. I think that's an important thing. And then if you just look at the players, Slusher is somebody you watch and he just drills guys. I mean, that's a... That is a he's only six foot one eighty, but you watch him play, and I think somebody commented that his hits kind of remind him of T.J. Ward, and I think that's you know I think that's sort of fair. You know, you just watch him; he goes out there and he's got this kind of recklessness to him, and he is not afraid to come flying in, lower the shoulder, and just knock a guy on his on his rear, and he does that over and over again. And you like players like I think there's a kind of an, a contagiousness, a little infectiousness with players playing like that. And then Hill, uh, another guy who's not afraid to get his nose dirty. And also really good coverage skills. So I think both really nice ads and holding on to these guys again with potential recruitment, you know, down the line will be tough, but big, big additions for sure. Now it puts the, I hate to use the word because it's not, it's, it, the context isn't very good, but um, now it puts good pressure on other guys. Yeah. And this is, and what I mean by that is, is, you know, now Oregon doesn't have to go to some guy and, and be like, hey, you know, Room's filling up. We need you to commit and, and kind of really, you know, hammer. You know, we often hear this a lot of colleges coming in and, and, you know, putting pressure on a kid saying, you need to decide quickly. You need to decide quickly. Manufacturing some kind of false, you know, pressure or false, you know, uh, 
what's the word I'm I'm looking for? Uh, you know, race to commit right. essentially, yeah. like a sense of urgency. Yeah, like a, a false sense of urgency. And now that there there actually is some, mm-hmm. you know, the organ and the organ staff is always they always tell guys they're always you know we talk to recruits and we hear from them they're always you know being we're being told that the staff is honest and upfront and no pressure. And now the staff can legitimately go to someone that's in the secondary and tell them, look, room is filling up. We only have 22 spots or 23 spots that we can sign guys, and we need four or five. We already have three or four, depending on how a couple guys shake out from an athlete, athlete standpoint. Of, right. Are they a linebacker or are they a safety? Um, and tell them, we, we might only have one, one more spot for your, for your position. Or we only might have two more spots, and there's, I want to be honest with you, there's about six guys that are pretty close to committing. You're one of them. You know, you, know, you can take your time, but understand that if you do, you may not get your chance to commit to Oregon. And I think that puts Oregon in a very advantageous yes. position quite early, especially with this position group. And again, I think credit deserved to uh, Dante Williams and Keith Hayward for keeping at it. The secondary is continuing, and you, you watch the spring. They're getting better and better from a talent yeah. perspective. Adding players like this, I think, just continues that. Now let's let's get to the list here. Who are the ten best football players for the NFL, uh, or who who are the ten guys the NFL is looking at the most right now? And, and we want to preface this by saying we could have done like you know the ten best from you know just a 2020 perspective, but I think that devout while that's important and that's inform you know interesting information, I think. Throwing in the uh, the guys who are not eligible for the draft really makes things interesting because it, it gives us a picture of how talented I think this roster really could be. Yeah, and uh, I, I'll start with number. Are we going to go? I assume we're going to go ten to one. Yeah. Unless you want me to start at one and just really ruin the whole thing. <laughs> ten. Maybe I'll just run through them one through ten just to ruin it. Okay. Uh, no, let's start at ten. Uh, I had a hard time with this uh, because a lot of the guys I'm looking at on here are guys we haven't seen play, and yeah. so we're doing some projecting here. So I'm starting with DJ Johnson. Okay. At ten, be, just because he's six five, two seventy, he probably is going to be somebody who runs four five, four six, somewhere in that range, from what everybody has said. Big, athletic, uh, you know, those edge guys are really attractive. I could have put him higher if I would have, if he would have had some game experience that I'd seen. Um, but somebody that I think clearly really talented, really high um, physical tools, uh, could be a really good player. I wouldn't be shocked if he's. Somebody. Now he's actually drafted. He is drafted. I know, and that was that was also where I had a hard time here because he could actually leave after this year, but we, I literally haven't seen him play outside of like scrimmages right. and, and and one spring game. So hard to really gauge what he is, but we know he's a highly rated recruit. We know he has the physical tools. I think he's somebody that could probably be way higher on this list. I just haven't seen him very much. Yeah, I I thought long and hard about putting him on this list. He's not on mine. Okay. But I didn't realize until just now he's dropped eligible. He could leave after this year. Yeah, he could leave after this year as a redshirt sophomore. Uh, my number ten is a junior who's draft eligible. I do not think he leaves though, and that's Jordan Scott at defensive tackle. Um, I I think he's going to be an interesting player to watch at, from an NFL perspective because he's certainly very productive yeah. at the college level. And I I think the lasting image I have of Jordan Scott's first two years at Oregon is. Uh, fourth down, fourth down play against Washington uh, in Austin Stadium, yeah. where he basically takes on the entire offensive line and wins. Uh, that play will 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 live in NFL lore for scouting. They will 
I guarantee you NFL scouts will fall over themselves watching That'll that. That'll be played on his highlight yes. reel when he is drafted. <laughs> yes. And we should mention Washington had three offensive linemen that were that were drafted or are going to be drafted. So it's not like he was going to a bunch of scrubs. So I have Jordan Scott number 10. My number 9 guy is another guy that's draft eligible but as a junior, but I do not think he leaves, and that's Thomas Graham. I, I had a hard time putting Thomas Graham uh, at number 9. I, I, I almost put him near the top 5. I just think he's a very, very good cornerback for Oregon. I, I also have him on my list, and he is all higher on my list than you. Uh, I have number nine. I have another corner. I want Mikhail Wright, which is a humongous reach. That's and a big I understand reach. We're, we're going off, but I think the, my thinking here is we're projecting way down sure. the future. We're looking three, sure. like three years down the line. I think we saw in that spring game, and like, this is so reactionary. <laughs> I guess I could have had David Davis. So hot in here. <laughs> hot take. I guess I could have had David Davis on this list at number like nine last year with the same logic. But I, I thought he was he was clearly one of the better players on, on the field in the spring game. And again, very reactionary to have him this high. I just think he, he again, big time recruit, obviously very talented. I think has a really bright future. Uh, I went with him at nine. Number eight is a repeat of one you've already given, Jordan Scott, for me. I, I think, like you said with Scott, uh, I think the interesting thing with him is the position, the nose tackle thing. Yeah. What, how high are teams willing to take a player? Who plays that spot? You don't see guys in the first couple rounds frequently playing that position. How do people see him? I think it's pretty well known. He's considered one of the better nose guards, nose tackles, defensive tackles, especially on the West Coast, but probably nationally. It'll be interesting to see what his draft stock looks like. I think he's somebody that will certainly be drafted like you. I don't know if that's going to be after this season, if he goes early, or if he'll wait a year and kind of fulfill his entirety of his eligibility. So at number eight, um, I was – going back and forth on this one and I feel like this is kind of one of my reaches just because we don't really know what he's going to be from a perspective at Oregon but I have Juwan Johnson Penn State grad transfer um, and this is one where I'm looking more at physical attributes than statistical achievements on the on the field uh, I think he's an NFL receiver from a, a physical attribute standpoint yeah, I agree. Um, and if he can put things all together with Justin Herbert being the quarterback and the type of year that Oregon we think is going to have, where they win or compete for the conference championship, uh, I think he's going to be one of those guys that, because of a team success, because he puts up good numbers, and because he has the physical attributes, a one-year you know runoff is going to be good enough to get him drafted. So I I have Juwan Johnson going eight, uh, and then number seven. This is one I I kind of feel flies way under the radar. Tight end Jacob Breeland. Oh wow. I think Breland is in the age of the NFL where we're starting to see more and more double tight ends. We're seeing, you know, the emergence of, of bigger, you know, receivers who aren't necessarily burners but are like six foot five and, and you know, two hundred and fifty pounds. And I credit this to, to the Patriots when they had Gronk and they had Hernandez, you know, they just killed teams with having two very athletic tight ends and you know, I, I don't think Breland is necessarily the, the line of scrimmage blocker that Hernandez or, or um, Gronk were, but I think he's going to be a guy that, that NFL scouts, with the way the NFL is moving to having multiple tight ends on the field, I think he's going to be a guy that, that could find himself uh, on an NFL roster. I think that's fair. I think the hard thing for me, I did not have Breland on my list. Jawan Johnson was not on my list either, but I, he and DJ were the two I was thinking sure. on that last spot. But with Breland, I, I just, the injuries concerned me a little bit. He's, he's dealt with a lot of stuff with his back, and, and obviously he missed most of spring. I just wonder where he is from a health perspective. Obviously, I, I do agree. I think he's somebody that has shown he's a, he's a good pass receiver. I think he showed improved blocking yeah. last year. Big physical guy. Um, I do think the upside is there, but somebody I think with the injury concerns was, sure. was why I left him off. My number seven is a guy who is draft eligible, 
That's Shane Lemieux. I think – I actually thought we were going to have the same pick here when we talk about, <laughs> we're talking about under the radar because I think Lemieux is quietly one of the better players on that offense yeah. and has been for a couple of years and just doesn't get a lot of attention because he plays as an interior lineman, which – you know, linemen in general don't get a lot of attention, but the guys in the blind, you know, blocking left and right tackles, those guys get a little more attention. A guy like Shane Lemieux, who's kind of locked in a left guard, doesn't get a ton of attention. I think he's somebody that maybe he doesn't go in the first or second day, but he's going to go somewhere. I think he's going to have a long career. He works really hard. He's big. He's strong. He's got a good motor. He play, you know, again, he plays with some a nastiness strength. I, I think he's somebody who's going to have a long career, um, even if he's maybe a fifth or sixth round guy, which I think he. Probably could be taken earlier than that, but we'll kind of have to see how that plays out. And my number six, somebody you already mentioned, Thomas Graham. I, I, I agree with you on a lot of what you said. I think we've seen now through two years he's a very capable player, somebody that probably deserved a little bit more right. all-conference you know, consideration a year ago. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good player this year and take a step, and, and I think he's somebody that could leave after this year if he has a good enough season and be taken you know, on, on one of those you know, third to fourth round kind of ranges. Uh, my number six is probably my biggest projection that I've made out of everybody. Um, I'm going to guess that you have him kind of around this spot as well, Kayvon Thibodeau. I also have him on this list, but he's higher. Ooh. Uh, I just think from a physical standpoint, he's there. He, you know, in terms of being an impact player at the college level right away and, you know, seeing the growth that he's going to make in the next two or three seasons for Oregon, uh, he's going to find himself drafted it's going to now become how high does he get does he go from being a a fourth or a fifth round guy to maybe being a second or a third round guy can he crack into the top 10 uh top first round can he he crop crack into the top 15 the first half of the first round that's going to be i think Kayvon Thibodeau's question is not when he if he gets drafted it's going to be where does was Kayvon Thibodeau uh get drafted at number six number five for me um, is Troy Dye. Hey, me too. Hey, there we go. I, I think this is you know, a production standpoint, especially five years ago, I don't think Dye is this high on my list, but the NFL is starting to move where you know those thumping you know, inside linebackers that are 270 pounds in the inside, those guys aren't as common as, as they used to be in the NFL. And teams are starting to go with linebackers because of the offensive stuff, like I mentioned with Jacob Breland at mm-hmm. tight end. Mm-hmm. You need linebackers now who can cover, and that is Troy Dye's one of his biggest strengths. Uh, he knows where the ball is, and he can cover, and I, I think his versatility, he might be an outside guy, he might be an inside guy, but I think that's what makes him draftable. I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you on a lot of these things. Production, I think he's going he's gonna to finish, barring injury and, and continued production, at, at a very at probably as the top tackler in program history, which is hard to do because... Guys had like 180 tackles. Yeah. Back in like the 60s, the guys would have like 180 tackles. It's a season. It was crazy. Um, but Dai, along your lines, I, I look at him, I think outside linebacker probably, but maybe he could play like safety. I mean, he did play that in high school. He's 6'4". He moves pretty well. I'm not sure he's good enough in coverage for something like that. But I think an interesting guy for sure and somebody that I expect to be taken um, for, for sure after this season. It'd be interesting to see kind of what that range is. My number four is another guy that, that will be drafted, um, I believe, in the 2020 draft, and that's Calvin Throckmorton. Um, and I, I think like Lemieux, somebody who probably does get overlooked a little bit. Right. But you look at Throckmorton, and I think the positional versatility, I would think, is extremely attractive. Um, I'll be curious to see kind of how he does in some of the testing stuff. Same thing with Lemieux. I think those are going to be things that probably play play kind of a factor in where they go. But I, I just think a really talented guy, four-year starter, uh, 50-year player, experienced, ex- extremely reliable, again, can play center possibly at the next level, could play tackle, could play guard. 
Um, extremely versatile. I think he's going to be someone that uh, scouts are going to be really interested in. And I'll be, again, really curious to see what the range is for someone like him. Could he sneak into the first two sure. rounds just because of that as being kind of a utility offensive lineman? You just don't know. Uh, number four, I've got Shane Lemieux. Um, I, I agree with you. I think he's extremely underrated. Um, I don't think he's going to be a first-round guy just because it's very rare for guards to go in the first round. Uh, but he's going to be that second or third round offensive lineman that gets picked and for Oregon. That's a really good deal for them. Um, at number three, uh, I have Penny Sewell. Uh, I, I think – I thought really long and hard about putting him number one. I did too. I, did too. I, I just think seeing his, his importance to Oregon the first half of the season and when he got hurt – and seeing the impact of that, I thought really long and hard about putting Penny Sewell number one. Number three for me is Kayvon. Uh, my, my top three here was basically just, I think these are the guys who, who really could be first-round draft picks. And I think, obviously, again, like Mikhail Wright, we're projecting off of spring practice, which is tough to do. But Thibodeau has such prestige and kind of already has that brand that's built because of where he was you know, ranked as a recruit and kind of uh, the attention he got from that that I, I just – could see a scenario here where, where he's already on everybody's radar, right. and if he comes out and produces at a high level, which I think from what we saw this spring, I wouldn't be shocked if he leads the team in sacks this year. I don't think that would be a shocking development. And if he does that for three straight years, and he maybe he goes into the draft in three years and he's got 40 sacks or 42 sacks or something crazy like that, people are going to be like, productive player, yep. can play a couple of different spots, like DJ Johnson. Those are attractive guys at the top of the draft. Number two for me is Penny Sewell. Um, and it, like you, I, I went back and forth with this uh, for a while, but the position Sewell plays is attractive. As we've seen, I think if you've all drafts, quarterback, offensive tackle, and edge rusher, those are always going to be the guys right at the yeah. top of the draft. And predictably, my top three, edge rusher, offensive lineman, and a quarterback at number one, which <laughs> I think anybody probably understood was coming, even though I'm jumping yeah. ahead. But uh, Sewell, my number two here, and I think somebody who – We'll see what kind of, I guess, where Herbert goes in 2020, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if Sewell ends up being higher when he gets in the draft in a couple of years. Yeah, my number two is basically your number three. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, your, your number four, Calvin Throckmorton. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I think if we're talking underrated, a lot of the attention is on Herbert, obviously, um, and it should be. But don't be surprised if Throckmorton somehow finds his way in the top half of the first round. People are going to gush over him because of his versatility. He can play any position along the offensive line. Yep. Uh, NFL scouts are going to drill over him because Mario Cristobal is his head coach, and the work that Cristobal has done coaching you know players at Alabama and now at Oregon. Uh, I, I think Throckmorton will, will find his way. He's super smart team player. He's going to find his way in the first round. And then D, uh, my number one is obviously Justin Herbert. The yeah. uh, question now becomes, is he the first quarterback picked? It could be Tua Tagovailoa, or is he going to be the first player picked? Those are the two questions that I think with Herbert, where does he go? Is he first overall? Is he the first quarterback picked? Yeah, with this, the reason I actually battled back and forth between Herbert and Sewell for a bit was I think Sewell could conceivably be a top five pick, but I think Herbert will be. Yeah, I think I think that's I think I have more confidence in that given that we are already seeing these draft projections and. He probably would have gone top five this year. I, I just think there's so much pointing to him being somebody off the board in the first three or four picks that I would just be surprised if he's not at this point. Um, obviously, he could have a really tough senior season. and you know, Something else could happen, but 
Uh, my confidence level is pretty high that he's going to be someone taken very, he has all of the tools in terms of the, he's got the brains, he's got the arm strength, he's got the body. I think he's, you know, honestly kind of tailor made for where the NFL is going. So somebody that I, I would be shocked if he's not a t- early, early pick in the 2020 draft. That's going to be our top 10, um, for each of us. One item that I think is interesting. Yeah. Neither of us had Jake Hansen on the, on the top 10. Yeah. I, I, centers are hard. I don't know. I had a hard time kind of figuring out what that looks like uh, with him, and, and I guess maybe I'm just not sure about some of the athletic stuff, and maybe I'm totally off base on that. But I, I, he was somebody that I certainly considered, but he was probably like 12th on my list because Jawan Johnson would have been the guy right after DJ for me. Yeah, if I, if I had taken off uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, I, I, I would have had Jake Hansen. He would have been my 10th guy. Yeah, if we were doing guys that were draft eligible, he yeah. would have been probably 7 or somewhere on my list. Uh, certainly interesting. I think he's going to be one though that could make up some ground. Sure. Um, and and he he took a step back. I think, and he would probably say that as well. His his junior year was probably not as good as he was expecting it to be. Um, and I I think if he has a strong senior year, he could be a guy that you know, cracks into this top ten at some point. And another thing that's interesting is that we have this list here, and three of my top seven guys are on the offensive line. I think three of your top four or five. Yeah, uh, I have four. of Three of my first four were on the offensive line. Speaks a little bit to what how good this offensive line could be or should be this year. Real quick, does a receiver on Oregon's roster outside of Jawan Williams, John Johnson, John Johnson, uh, make the NFL at some point? I think Pittman would be the guy that could have a shot. Theoretically, I don't know. I, I wrestled with kind of again the freshman thing was hard, and I thought Thibodeau and Wright were the two best freshmen. And then I, I Pittman was somebody I would have considered on the list too. He's probably in that that group, but I, I, it's hard to say. I don't think any of the upperclassmen probably. Maybe Jalen Red is some sort of return guy, slot guy, but I, I just think as a whole, not a talent, not a group that really has a ton of NFL pr, you know projection. And we could be totally wrong on this, and maybe Johnny Johnson goes sure. out and has an incredible junior season, but. I just look around and kind of go like, I think Jawan Johnson's the safest bet right now, and Pittman would probably be the guy with the high upside sure. that could sneak into a high pick in a couple of years. And then there's also going to be watching what guys like Brady Ayello, Dallas Warmack, yeah. Lamar Winston, you know, those guys could, you know, theoretically find themselves onto some NFL team either as an undrafted free agent or uh, as maybe a very late round flyer draft pick. Um, that's going to do it for us. Make sure you go to duckterritory.com. Give us a, a review on iTunes here for the podcast. Search for the Duck Territory Podcast. Give us a review. Uh, rate us if you could. And then most importantly, uh, if you are not subscribing, please consider doing it. It's $1 for your first 30 days, for your first month. $1. That's all it costs to give us a try. You, you will not regret it. Uh, I feel pretty confident saying that. Um, so go to duckterritory.com. Uh, subscribe. Upgrade if you aren't. If you are a subscriber on a monthly month basis, you can get an annual subscription for six dollars and twenty six cents a month, which is a thirty percent cut of what it used to be. Uh, and then thanks for listening to the podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.